right, we're going to continue in our series this morning on questions. And uh, I think this question that we're going to look at today is a very important question. Um, How do I resolve conflicts with my fellow believers? That is huge. Um, I often said when I, we have a lot of family down in the Memphis area. And I think that just in Memphis alone, there are probably 500 Baptist churches. I'm not kidding you. Just in Memphis alone. And it's amazing because you can walk into the door of most any of them, and they have what they call a new members board. And on this new member board, there are all kinds of people with their photos and their names. And it's kind of funny. I walked into one of the churches one time with my father-in-law who grew up in Memphis. And uh, we happened to look at a couple different churches. They were at Leewood Baptist, and we went to Bellevue. Then we went to uh, Faith Baptist in Germantown. And we look at different churches that we've been to because of family in the various area churches. And it's kind of funny. We walk in there, and we see the new members board. Oh, they were at so-and-so. Then they were at so-and-so, and then they are at so-and-so. Then you go over to the next church across town the following Sunday for, you know, because we're there for, you know, Christmas break or whatever. Oh, yeah, they were at so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so church. It's just amazing how easy it is in this day and age for people to be church hoppers. And really, I think, unfortunately, it's not due to because they're moving from one town to another. Oftentimes, they go because someone ticked them off. Let's be honest, right? Somebody ticked them off. It was unresolved conflict. And because they really didn't know how to deal with it, it just kind of it's easier just to leave than to deal with it, right? So, uh, you know, this is just the truth of whether we want to admit it or not. And I think this is something that really all churches need to learn how to deal with. How do I resolve conflict? And let me just say, so there are times that you can go through the entire process of Matthew 18 and you can come to the conclusion that I still need to leave. And that's sometimes the best answer and the best result that has to happen. But you should not leave without going through the process first. And so we're going to look at that this morning and see what God's Word has to say about it. But I want us to think in our mind, is there any areas of conflict with a fellow believer that I have not walked through the process with? And I think if there is, we have to consider doing that because that's what God would expect of us, right? So in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, I want to read this, and then I just want to once again open in 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 a word of prayer, and we'll get started to see what God's Word has to say about this. So, moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Lord God, I pray that you'd help us to apply this verse in our lives and our walk with you, Lord, every day. Lord, that we can walk in harmony and unity with our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I ask God you give us courage and boldness for those that need to do this. And Lord, I pray that your desired outcome would be the outcome, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I look at this verse, and it's a verse I've known of for many, many years... Uh, this verse, to me at least, has an interesting, interestingly humorous overtone. And it's this. There are some passages of Scripture where the word if is actually translated since. And, uh, you know, to me that kind of is a little bit humorous. If you've been a believer for any amount of time at all, you know that one or more of your fellow believers in Christ are going to irritate the fire out of you. Anybody? You are going to have fellow believers that are going to irritate the fire out of you. Someone is going to get your goat. They're going to rub you the wrong way until you just want to punch them in the nose, as my wife says. There's just some people you just want to punch them in the nose because they've just irritated you to no end. And it's like I've said before, I know certain fellow believers, they have the gift of irritation. say, well, I didn't know that was a gift in the Bible. Trust me, it's in there somewhere in the Greek. I don't know where, but it's in there. But someone's going to get your goat. And Jesus says, if. Hmm. 
he might have been more accurate to say, since your brother is going to sin against you and offend you, here's how you should deal with it. But, however, God's Word states things exactly how He intended for things to be stated. So if that happens, this is how you should deal with it. And that being said, when Jesus taught on how to deal with offenses, He instructed believers uh, to cut off the hand or the foot that causes offense, offenses to a little child or to a new believer in faith. But however, when He addressed how to deal with a, offense to a, a, an adult, it was not the same thing. Uh, he said, you're to re- try to restore your brother and regain that offending brother by following the specific principles found in Matthew 18.15. However, before we get into Matthew 18.15, uh, I want to give you a few things to ponder as we get into this topic fully. Um, there is a huge difference between having been sinned against or offended against versus simply not liking what someone said or did. Right? We know that, Right? Because there are all kinds of things that people say and do that I don't like. But that does not give me justification or rationalization or excuse to get angry and say, well, they sinned against me. Man, we know how to twist things up. To, you know, I mean, let's be honest here. Many of us are extremely selfish people. Anybody else? I'll put my hand up. I'm selfish. I like what I like, when I like it, as long as I like it, as often as I like it. That's our human nature and flesh, right? We're selfish people, and many of us are extremely selfish. But you know, in, in the end, we all too often get our feelings hurt because someone said or did something I did not like. In that case, uh, if there is no biblical sin or offense against you from Scripture, and I've said it many times, you may need to cry a river, build a bridge, and get over it. Let me say that again. If somebody says or does something that you don't like, but it's not actual biblical sin against God's Word or you, you know you have to cry a river, build a bridge, and get over it. I mean, the bottom line is not everything everybody does is going to be suited to you. And you have to learn that, that you have to get a little bit tougher than just, oh, well, he hurt my feelings. People are people, and they're sinful. You know, most conflicts i found in my lifetime are based on or stemmed out of one of two things. There's either misinformation or miscommunication. Most of the time, almost all conflict, or at least 90-some percent of conflicts, can be attributed to one of those two things. Misinformation or miscommunication. I didn't get all the facts, that's misinformation, or I got the wrong facts, or miscommunication, I didn't hear everything, or, I, or what was said was not actually what I meant. Last night, my wife and I were uh, having some words in our fireplace room, and I said something, and I did not realize that what I said was what she heard. And she goes, well, you said this. And I said, well, that's not what I meant to say. What I meant to say was this. Right, but Kenny, you said this. I'm like, oh, I'm thankful that we can stop, take a minute, take a breath, and realize that sometimes it's not intentional. I see some of you, like, in the peanut gallery, like, talking to each other. (laughs) But, you know, isn't that true? I mean, oftentimes, if we'll just sit for a minute, take a breath, and re-ask some questions, you'll realize that either the misinformation or miscommunication can be addressed. Problem solved, done, over, move on, right? But it's when our selfishness kicks in that we get all upset, and we all of a sudden we get hurt, and and we have to deal with everything. So our, our true desire and commitment ought to be what is conveyed in the following passage of Scripture. The first one is found in, in Romans chapter 12. Uh, oops, i got to get my pen here. 
12 and verse 18. Romans 12, verse 18 says this. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now let me just think about this just for a moment. It says, as much as possible, as much as it depends on you. Take that to heart just for a moment. If it's up to you, are you going to fight and get raging mad? Or are you going to say, I'm going to take a minute and take a breath? Because as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill you my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You know what that presupposes is that we're going to get rid of all selfishness. You know, all of us want our own way, but many of us are not going to get our own way. The question is, am I willing to give? When Scripture is not at stake, when biblical principle is not at stake, how desperately do we fight to get our way? He says, I'd really want you to be like-minded, having the same love, being of one court, of one mind. And then he goes on to say, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Right? But let each of, each of us in lowliness of mind, let each of us esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Am I willing to forgo what I want, because this is what pleases me, because what I think is what I deserve, to really just say, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's never going to be about me, right? It's always going to be about Him. And the reality is, we will fight so hard to get what we want, we don't care who gets mad in, in the process. Because we want our own way. But the result of us pushing so hard and so desperately to get what we want, because it's what we think is right and best and what pleases us, ends up causing a wake of trouble in the long run. And in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, And above all things have fervent love for one another. Why? Because love will cover a multitude of sins. So at the root of everything I do within the body of Christ, and remember, if we are fellow believers with one another, there ought to be a love that is stronger than the love that is in the world, right? Because we have the love of Christ within us. And if the love of Christ is within us, we have to love each other enough that we are going to overlook the sometimes misinformation, the miscommunication, because really they didn't mean to do it. But we sometimes look as if, well, they did it on purpose. Do we know that or we just assume that? I'm not saying there are people who never do that, because there are, but a lot of times, once again, misinformation, miscommunication that can be easily addressed. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18, 15. I think it's a verse every one of us should have underlined in our Bibles. So first of all, it says, if your brother... That's, I want to take this phrase by phrase as we go through this. If your brother. So far too often we miss the word brother and immediately go to sins. I mean, uh, have you ever met that person who uh, seems to be just waiting for someone to offend them and they get easily offended just about anything? I mean, they're just out there. They're just waiting for you to screw up. They're just waiting for you to tick them off in some way, shape, or form. They're just waiting for you to make a mistake and do something so I can get at you. You know what? 
they're out there. But oftentimes we forget the fact that there's a word that comes before sins, and it's the word brother. It says, if you're brother. And once again, the word brother, what? Presupposes the fact that they are what? Family. They're part of our family. And because they're our family, we work through the difficulties. We work through the trials and the hardships. We are family. And remember this. As family, we practice 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Love thinks no evil. When's the last time that somebody did something that we took offense at and we immediately, in our mind, said, you know what, I'm going to overlook this because they, I know that's not what they meant. I know they said this, but I know that's not what they, what they meant to say. I know they did this, but I know they didn't do it on purpose. That's the practical application of 1 Corinthians 13, let no, love thinks no evil. It's the idea of I'm not going to immediately think that they did this on purpose just to get me. I wonder how many of us can often say that, man, I just think the opposite. They did this on purpose, and I'm going to get even with them. I mean, that's our flesh. That's our nature. Because oftentimes, so it's not a matter of if your brother, if you've been in the church very long, somebody is going to tick you off. Somebody's going to irritate you. But I wonder if we should start changing the way we think into the terms of we are family. And because we're family, we're going to work through this. And I'm going to come to the conclusion that they didn't do this on purpose. But how do you determine whether or not they did this on purpose? You have to what? Go to them. So we have to remember that. So we're going to practice 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Uh, we as believers must make sure that we practice love and that love is not modeled better by the Kiwanis Club, by the Moose Lodge, by the local senior citizens club or uh, uh, community center. Love should be exemplified better here than anyone else, than anywhere else. Amen? It ought to be exemplified and practiced here within these walls than anywhere else. But if a person has to go into the outside the, these walls into the world to find a, a closer and better example of love, shame on us. It ought to be what's exemplified here in the body of Christ. But then it says, if your brother, the next phrase, sins against you. When a brother sins or offends you, it is against all who are a part of the body of Christ. Remember the phrase, a little leaven, leaven, uh, leaven affects the whole lump? Then, it, then any brother who sins affects all of us. And so because we're a family once again, we deal with it. We encourage one another. We help each other. The brother that has missed the mark of God's righteousness and holiness has come short of the principles of love. Now think about this. Who of us is without sin? Go ahead and raise your hand. Not gone at all. We're all on the same boat, right? We have all missed the mark of God's holiness and perfection. Then why is it that so often we expect more of our brothers than we expect of our own selves? Let's be honest. We are irritated to high heaven when somebody ticks us off. But we don't think too much when we tick someone else off. Oh, they can deal with it. Ah, eh, they'll get over it. Right? I wonder if we don't realize that in their missing the mark, we don't realize often that we've missed the mark too. That's Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and can fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We're in the same boat as that person who has offended us and sinned against us. The difference is, maybe this time it's their fault, not ours, but you know what? I'm going to think love thinks no evil. I'm going to have the mindset that there's some, probably some misinformation, miscommunication, until I come to the facts that there aren't. 
but I'm going to try to take the steps to handle this biblically. Once again, we make sure that is a legitimate sense, a sin or offense, not just something that someone said or did that I don't like. I don't know about you, but I've been in church since I was five years old. Anybody else been around for a long time? Over the years, I used to say, man, if I had, if I had a nickel for, some, for every time someone ticked me off in the body of Christ, I'd be a wealthy man. Anyone else? Right? All of us. But it's what we choose to do with that offense. It's what we choose to do with that sin against us that determines our own character and our spirituality, really. How strong a believer you are. So it says, if a brother sins against you, what's the next phrase? Come on. Go. Oh my goodness. To go to a brother that has sinned against you or offended you is great evidence of genuine love towards your offending brother. It is a great demonstration. It's a great example of genuine love if you are willing to go to that brother. And by going to the restore an offending brother, a fellow believer fulfills the law of Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Bear one, another, one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are times that we have to go to a brother who has sinned or offended us. Uh, going to an offending brother is never easy. Anybody disagree? And it's probably one of the most difficult things that you'll ever do. I don't know about you, but only a lunatic loves to go to someone who's ticked them off and say, you ticked me off. I, I don't want to do that. It's easier just to walk away. I mean, agree. It's easier to walk away. But the question is this. Is that the biblical thing to do? No. Because what happens when we walk away and don't deal with sin? I don't know about you, but it's the only thing in life that compounds faster than anything else. Bitterness and frustration and hatefulness can set in faster than anything when you don't deal with an offense. In my years of being in church, and even in my years of being a pastor, I can't tell you how many times over the years that someone says, you know, I'm done, I'm out of here. And then you hear later, well, that church did. It wasn't the church. It was one individual in the church, but the entire church got blamed for that one person. And it could have probably been either addressed, maybe not resolved, but at least addressed, and possibly been resolved. But rather than even trying to resolve it, it's just easier to run. But when you run, you take those experiences and those circumstances, and those situations with you into the next place that you run to, whether you realize it or not. I've said many times over the years, people get upset and they leave churches. That's fact. Sometimes those offenses cannot be resolved. That's fact. Sometimes they're going to go to another church. That's fact. But they shouldn't, none of those things should happen without at least trying to do Matthew 18 first. Sometimes they come to an agreement to disagree. But they shouldn't come to that before attempting to be biblical in the approach. So, we're to go to that brother. And going to the offending brother is the first step in restoring an offending brother. And here's the deal. If you truly love him or her as God has commanded, you'll go. It's not easy. It's not fun. But you will do it. Because it's the right thing to do. 
And then it goes on to tell it, say, in, in Matthew 18, 15, it says, and tell him his fault. Have you ever met that man who's never done anything wrong? Have you ever sat down with that person and they just don't get it? No matter how many examples you give them, that's not them, that's somebody else you're referring to. I have. And I think to myself, oh, Lord Almighty, this is going nowhere in metro speeds. There are some people who are never going to admit they're wrong. They're out there. There are some people who it's never their fault, no matter how many examples you give them. Sometimes they need someone to show them biblically how they have sinned or offended another. Sometimes do because of seared conscience. You realize that a seared conscience can affect whether or not someone's willing to admit their wrongdoing? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. There are times that they convince themselves they've done nothing wrong. And unless the Holy Spirit awakens them, you can't go any further. And there, there are circumstances where that happens. But there are times that you need to at least take the step towards sitting down and talking with them. I, I don't know what you, about you, but I've been thankful over the years that in a given area of churches, sometimes not like faith and practice, sometimes churches that I wouldn't attend myself, but I appreciate a pastor who will call me and say, so-and-so is at my church. Is there anything I should know about? You know, do pastors do that? Yeah, they do. Every once in a while, I'll get a, I'll get a phone call from someone who was at my church three years ago. Hey, so-and-so's at my church. Is there anything I should know? Because things just don't seem quite right. And I don't usually offer extra information. But if there's unresolved conflict, I will say there's been some unresolved conflict that needs to be dealt with. At least I would encourage you to have them deal with it before you let them join your church. I don't get into what the conflict is because of the next point. But I will say there are some areas of unresolved conflict that probably need to be addressed. And I'm thankful because on a couple of occasions, those pastors have sent those people back to me. And we are able to sit down and talk about it. Because that's the biblical thing to do. It's the right thing to do. But here's the next part. Between you and him alone. You know, the Bible is clear on this point. Knowledge of the offense is only shared with those who are part of the problem or are part of the solution. Notice what I'm about to say. There's nothing that screams, I'm immature... More than airing all your dirty laundry on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and everything else that you want to air your dirty laundry on. There are people who get mad at their relatives and they just scream it all over Facebook. And I think to myself, good Lord, couldn't you handle that in private? There are people who get mad at their neighbor and they put out, I think your, I think your neighbor can see your Facebook. I mean, I'm just saying, but I mean, oftentimes, you know, the, the, the blocking and the unfriending and the unfollowing happens far after the fact. I mean, they've already seen and damage is done before you ever change it, right? I mean, people scream, I'm immature, when they put this stuff out for the whole world to see. The Bible's clear on this. Between you and Him alone. Let me just say this. Oftentimes there are biblical offenses. Sometimes there are perceived biblical offenses that are not. You need to learn biblically what is the difference between them. For example, if there is a legitimate offense, you need to go to that offending person who sinned against you. If it is a legitimate biblical offense, you have every obligation and necessity 
to go work that out. Alone means to do it in private. Just the two of you. You're not whispering around the community. You're not gossiping to all your friends. You're not picking up your cell phone and saying, hey, bottom line, did you hear what so-and-so did to me this week? I, just, I mean, you have to know this. Man, why is it that we just feel that, I mean, unstoppable urge to tell someone who, about someone else who's ticked us off? I've made this statement for years, and I still believe it's true. Initially, if you're not part of the problem, you're not part of the solution. Over the years, there's been many times people come to me and said, Hey, did you, uh, did you hear what so-and-so I said, oh, wait a minute. Did you go talk to so-and-so? Did you talk to them? If you haven't, you need to. You need to go talk to them. It may not be resolved, but you need to make an attempt to see what the circumstances might be. And then he says, if he hears or listens to you. So as soon as you go to that person, and it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do, the next part of that verse is, if he hears or listens to you. And let me just say this. To hear or listen in the Bible means more than just hearing words. Did you get that, guys? This kind of refers to your wives as too. Remember, I've said this many times. If, if the wife is just going, and the husband just goes like this, did communication take place? Nope. See, communication is both giving and receiving of information. It's two-way, right? So to hear or listen in Scripture doesn't mean to just hear what is being said. It's taking it to heart. And the writer of Proverbs defined hearing or listening with intent. I'm listening with intent. Why? Because if there is an action that needs to be taken, I'll know what to do next. It's not just hearing somebody speak words in the background. It's listening with intent, knowing that there may be something that I need to do in response to what is said. The bottom line is this. Proper response to hearing and listening means that repentance may be necessary. Remember, we talked about this last week. There is an understanding of when I sin, it breaks the heart of God. It breaks fellowship with God, right? And he says, he that covers the sin will not prosper. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, 18. You see, the idea of, of knowing that there is sin that is then unresolved means that as soon as I'm confronted with that, I'm confronted with it in such a way that I turn around and go a different direction. There's a turning from the sin. And when someone confronts me over something that I may have done, or I talk to someone else about something that they have done that is biblically wrong, there should be a turning. So it's not just, well, you did this. And roll the eyes and walk away mad and angry. It's like, and let me just teach you one other thing I've shared with the guys a thousand times, and I've said it to all of us a thousand times. Always remember this principle. I've been practicing it for 27 years since I heard about it. Actions, I'm sorry, accusations harden the heart. Questions probe the conscience. Let me say it again. Accusations harden the heart or the will. Questions probe the conscience. How many of you have ever said or had somebody come up to you and, and said that you did something that you did not do? Anybody? Two hands and a foot. You did this. And what happens when somebody accuses you of something? Immediately your guns go up, right? I want to defend myself. 
That's not what took place. That's not what was said. That's not what happened. As soon as, as, soon as somebody accuses you of something, our defenses go up. Accusations harden the heart. Questions probe the conscience. It is better to ask questions than to make assumptions. Learn that. So when there is a conflict, and there will be conflicts, right? Ask questions. Once again, let's go back to misinformation and miscommunication. Did you say this? Is that what you meant to say? Did you do this? Well, did you realize that it would do, this would be the result? You see the difference? Learn to ask questions more than you make assumptions. Gather the facts. So when we come back to this, consider that when I am at fault, I need to realize it, admit it, own up to it. But there should be a turning from sin because of what I heard. So if he hears, if he listens to you, what's the next phrase? You have gained your brother. See, when we sit down and talk, there's an opportunity that we can disp- disarm the accusation. We can disarm the misinformation. We can disarm the miscommunication. And it might be that that's what was intended, but oftentimes, more than not, it was not. So you have gained a brother. And isn't this the goal? We want to gain the brother. Remember, we're a family, right? So uh, the goal is to restore your brother back into a healthy relationship. And that's why we're willing to forgive the brother who asks just as Jesus forgives us. I can't tell you how many times as I've gone through the years of being in ministry that someone says, well, I'm not going to forgive them. And I said, that's your choice. But every choice has consequences. Because God's Word is clear. and we Oh, we serve a God who forgives every time. Isn't that what the normal protocol of thought is? God forgives. God always forgives. But what does God's Word tell us? He says, if you are not willing to forgive, neither will your Father in Heaven, what, Lord? Forgive you. Oh, wow. So you do have to forgive others. You know what I found over the years? There are people that have ticked you off. They don't even realize or care that they've ticked you off. It's taken up space in your brain, and they're not thinking a thing about it. Who's losing out? You are. Why not just to forgive them? Just forgive them. Walk away. Say, you know what? I, I'm, I was... I tell you, my brother-in-law, he had a guy who made some serious accusations with him against him a few years ago. And the accusations end up putting him in jail, end up costing him 20 grand in attorney fees, and then to find out it was all dropped because it wasn't true. It changed three months of his life for, for the bad. Only for the guy to say, why, well, that wasn't true, I lied. And when he saw him in a business, in the oil industry field, this guy came up to him and just started chewing him out. And my brother-in-law just stood there. He goes, Robert, I forgive you. Oh, that just set him off. I mean, another whole string of expletives that you don't want to hear. And he, go, and he goes, I forgive you. 
And I looked at my brother-in-law when he told me that story. I'm like, man, I don't know if I could do that, man. You guys cost me 20 grand. You messed up my life. You hurt my relationships. You, you tried to make me look like a, a dirt ball. But you know what the biblical thing to do is? Forgive people even though they don't even realize it, that they need it. Because it's only taking up space in your brain. And that rental storage is way too expensive. Way too expensive. We must practice humility. Remember, the whole idea behind restoration is that of the word picture associated with that is setting a broken bone. It literally means to set a broken bone. In that what we want in the family of God, when there is an offense, we want that relationship to be restored back to health. But here's the thing. When someone breaks a bone and it needs to be set, does it feel good? No. Oftentimes, the setting of a bone induces pain. Sometimes things hurt before they get better. If you've had any type of surgery, you know that's to be true. Sometimes hurting precedes the better health. But here's what I found, is that once it's healed, at least we're always told that the healing part that was broken is actually much stronger. And I found that in our relationships, that when you go through garbage together, and you work through it, aren't you the stronger for it? That's what ought to be exemplified in the body of Christ. There may be pain, but once the pain is through, there is healing. And healing brings strength and unity. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now let me just say this. This may irritate some of you. It says, brethren. Brethren are the believers in the body of Christ, right? It says, if a man is overtaken in trespass, that's people who are sinners, like yourself, but not you. <laughs> who are spiritual. In other words, you who are spiritual. You can't help someone else if you're not healthy yourself, Right? Is that true? You have to be healthy before you can help someone else become healthy. So the reality is, he says, says here, you're going on, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Don't think you're such a great giant that you would never do that. You've missed the mark too, according to Romans 3.23. You're a sinner like everyone else. The reality is, Consider yourself, because you may do it next. But in a spirit of humility. So verse 4, But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. I need to take on responsibility for what I do. As believers, we should be motivated by Christ's words and His love to us to set offenses between us as believers. So I want to close just by giving you about six or seven references to consider. Maybe you need to write these things down. Maybe you need to consider them because they're good to consider. The first one is in Matthew 5, verse 9. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called the sons of God. So let me ask you a question. Do you want your reputation to be one as being a peacemaker or a troublemaker? I'm telling you, some people just don't care. Get over it. I don't care what they think. I'm just, I'm, I think what I think, and I don't care what you think. I would much rather be a peacemaker than a troublemaker. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Matthew 5, 23 through 26. This is another good verse. It says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Stop right there just for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Let's be honest. Is there somebody that either A, you have offended, and you know it, and you just don't care about it, but you need to deal with it? Or is there somebody that has offended you that you just need to forgive them, and you haven't done it yet? It's time to do that. Because in James it says, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is what? Sin. You have responsibility, biblically, before God, to deal with these things. Because they don't just magically go away. They eat away at you. It's like that root of bitterness that springs up and just destroys. It's like a cavity that you never get fixed. It just digs deeper and hurts more. Then he goes on verse 25. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, or the judge hand you over to the officer and you're thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will be at no means get out of the... Get out of there till you have paid the last penny. There are people that you have walked away from that you know that you've done wrong against. But the first time someone does something against you, you get irritated to high heaven. How about take the beam of our own eye first? Or how about Matthew? I can't even, can't even get this up here real quick. There we go. Matthew 5, 39 through 41. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Let me ask you a question. Is that easy? How many want want to do that in our flesh? Yeah, I don't see any hands. In my flesh, I want to get even. But there are times to just walk away. There are times that you just need to join in with them and help them out. Be a bigger man, as they say. Be a picture of Jesus Christ when no one else will. You ever realize that there are people around you that everybody just has gotten rid of? There are people around you that nobody else wants to deal with because they've just irritated so many people, they've burnt so many bridges, and you just don't want anything to do with them. Have you ever thought that maybe that's the person that needs to see a picture of Jesus in their life? That may be the person that needs to see a picture of Jesus in your life. How about Matthew chapter 7? Oh, these are some good verses, right? Verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Folks, once again, going back to Galatians, it says you who are spiritual. You've got to deal with your own self first. It's easy to point out the problems in others. Anybody disagree? It is so easy to find what everyone else is doing wrong. Those things are glaringly obvious. But am I willing to look at myself first? How about Proverbs 20 and verse 3? It says, It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. Anybody can start an argument. Anybody can pick a fight. But it takes a bigger man to stop a quarrel. To stop fighting. You know what it comes down to? A lot of times, maturity. Or how about Ephesians 4, 1 through 3? It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let me ask you a question. The word bearing or endeavoring, is that passive or active? Active. It's active. In other words, we're not just skipping along hand in hand, just enjoying life. Everything's a big old fairy tale and everything. Perfect, hunky-dory, awesome. Bearing one another means that life is happening. There are struggles. There are trials. There are disappointments. But we're going together in love. In love. Why? Because once again, remember the overarching theme? We're a family. If we know Jesus, we're part of the family of God. I'll give you another one in Proverbs. Proverbs 10, verse 12. It says, Hatred stirs up strife. But the next part of the verse, love covers all sins. I'm going to love, I'm going to choose to love others around me in such a way that I'm willing to overlook. Once again, 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, love thinks no evil. I know they did this, but I'm going to assume first, initially, that it was not on purpose. One more. Proverbs uh, 15, 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Do we fly off the handle? Or do we take a moment and take a breath? Because he who is slow to anger allays the contention. The bottom line is we need to take a minute sometimes. I've seen the lack of dealing with conflict in a biblical manner destroy churches. I've also seen the lack of humility and arrogance and an unwillingness to deal with sin destroy churches. We all know of that church that chooses not to deal with sin. That's between them and God. And they will pay dearly for it in the judgment of God. They will. But remember, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says who? The Lord. 
I can't control what other people do. I can't. Some people are wicked and evil. Let's be honest. There are people who are just downright in their heart sinful, and they choose to be sinful. They choose not to practice restoration. They choose not to admit sinfulness. They choose not to do what's right. I cannot control what anyone else does or says. But I have every responsibility before God to control how I react to those things. I can't control someone else's heart. But I have to control how I respond to what they do. Not only will not dealing with conflict destroy churches, it will destroy the one who has been feeling offended and sinned against if the root of bitterness gets in. There are times, folks, let me just say it, you have to walk away because they're not going to change. But at least take the steps towards restoration before you come to that conclusion. We have to do what's right. That's what pleases God. Amen? I don't know about you, but is there anyone in your past, present, that has either sinned against you that you've not been willing to forgive you? Can I challenge you to forgive them before God? There are some people who have irritated the fire out of you, who have actually literally sinned against you. They're never going to make it right. They're never going to make it right. It's only taken space in your brain. They've moved on. They haven't thought about it. They're not going to think about it. And it's not going to happen. Are you willing to forgive them? Secondly, are there people that you know that you've offended and sinned against that you've not made right with? You need to make it right. One of the questions I'm going to hit, I don't know if I'll do it next week or the week after, is that of restitution. So often we say, well, I'm sorry, and just walk away. <laughs> Wait a minute. You don't get off that easy. God's Word makes it clear there are things that you need to do sometimes to settle the matter. But as much as it lies within us, live peaceably. Don't pretend it's not there. It is there. But forgive and address it. Move on. But I challenge you to do whatever it is that God is telling you to do so that you can be in a right standing before God Almighty. Lord God, as we come before you, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts again afresh and anew. And Lord, I do pray, because Lord, I know that, that the heart of mankind is, according to Jeremiah 17, 9, Lord, is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But we don't even realize the sinfulness of our own flesh. But Lord, I pray that we might be willing to deal with the things that we know are wrong, that we've chosen to push off or just disregard or pretend's not an issue when we know it is. I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, if there are circumstances that need to be addressed, I pray, God, that you would just, Lord, encourage them to deal with it. Impress upon the heart the need to deal with it. And I ask, God, that you would help us to do the biblical thing. It's not always the easy thing, but it's the right thing. And forgiving others to address issues, Lord, that need to be addressed. And to practically implement Matthew 18, 15 into our daily living. Because we're a family. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a minute. Then no one be looking around or...
just for a moment. Has God brought someone or a situation to your mind that has not been dealt with? Maybe this morning God has brought a situation to your mind that you need to offer forgiveness for. Maybe God has brought something to your mind that you've done to someone else that you've not made right. Maybe there's circumstances that you need God's help to deal with it. Because in your flesh it is just so hard. Can I challenge you to deal with it today? Say, Pastor Ken, God has convicted me or challenged me in my heart. There's some things that need to be addressed. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, in the front, in the back, the sides. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some situations that, honestly, they need to be dealt with. Yes, yes, yes. Can I challenge those of you who lifted your hand, your heart to the Lord, to just take a moment and pray and say, God, I need your wisdom. I need your help. God, I need to, Lord, I need your strength to forgive. I need your strength to, to approach. I need your strength, Lord, to deal with this as I ought. Just take a moment and pray. God's Word tells us that if, you, if a man lacks wisdom and knowing how to do these things, he said, I will give you wisdom. But you've got to take the step. And it's the hardest step. It's never easy. But it's right. Just take a moment and pray. Each and every week we have this opportunity to respond just for a moment in a fashion that would be honoring to God. But if there's something that needs to be done, be willing to do it. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. Lord, it's the easiest thing, Lord, really, it is. The easiest thing is just to to push it aside and to not deal with it. It's the easiest thing, Lord, to point out the flaws in others and overlook our own flaws. God, it's the easiest thing to just pretend it's not that big a deal and just to walk out and not deal with it. But God, I pray that we would learn to handle conflict differently. So Lord, I pray for each one who raised their hand to you, Lord, this morning. Lord, that you would help them this week to whatever the circumstance may be. Lord, if it's to offer forgiveness, may they do that. If it's to seek forgiveness, may they do that. But Lord, may we do whatever it takes to be in a right standing before you in our walk with you. May you be glorified through all that is said and done. And we'll praise you for it, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.